This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. I'm John, in for Aaron again, sorry. To discuss a day when our new manager made his debut in the dugout and Ryan Hardy and Morgan Whitaker dug us out of a cup set shaped hole. Just hours after Ian Foster confirmed his arrival from El Etifak, he saw us very soon receiving a warm ovation before kickoff and immediately taking his place on the touchline. And he soon had a first goal to savour as the pride of Stoke slash Bristol Luke Cundall followed in a saved Callum Wright shot. Sutton's tambourines were rocked, their chocolate melted, their amber turning to red, but they grew into the game. And early in the second half, they were level. Lee Angol, angling in a shot with the deadly precision of a Tim Vine one-liner. In the end, though, Argyle were not going out of the cup, as Whitaker won a penalty, converted by Hardy, then swished in a shot himself to put us in the hat, or at very least, the plastic fishbowl thing with the ball. Sutton not quite dressed as lambs to the slaughter, punished nonetheless. No replay means no trip to put the green in Gander Green Lane, which caused a sigh of relief in the changing room, if not in Sam Downs' wildest dreams. Joining me to discuss are the David Adjaboy to my Amari Patrick. It's Ben. Hello. The Steve Morrison. This should have two R's in it, shouldn't it? To my Matt Gray. It's Graham. Uh, And the Plymouth Sutton to my and Devonport. It's Sam Down. Hello. Um, so Ben, you were at Home Park yesterday, uh, and I'll start with you this week. How did you see the game? Give us your rundown. It was a very strange affair on in more than one way. The atmosphere was very flat. Uh, I think that was down to um, the game as much as the. You know, I don't like to use the word day trippers because I myself am someone who's not always been able to get to games at various times, and I like to make an awful lot of noise when I'm there. Um, but I do think there were a lot of families and. Uh, and what what not um, maybe those who are there more for the the occasion than than hardcore fans so it was quite quiet but the game certainly didn't lend itself to a raucous atmosphere you could hear the Sutton fans from the Devonport uh, more than you could hear Zoo Corner which is um, quite quite odd um, but it, you know we got the win and I think that was what's important it was a very 
um, disciplined performance by Sutton, I thought that as much as you know, I think their um, I think their position belies in the table belies the the way they played um, yesterday. I thought they were impressive, as we always say, don't we? That um, you should be beating teams based on you know two two leagues of difference, but uh, I don't think that sort of looked it on the pitch. Um, but of course, you know we were missing Finazaz for the first time. Um, it was a strong lineup, nonetheless, uh, and seems as you know Neil Jusnip had picked the team. I suspect he might have been quite keen for the extra hundred grand for the coffers, given the uh, the choice of lineup. Um, and we probably needed it, to be honest. I'd suggested in the the preview that um, we might sort of field a weakened side and just um, sprinkle in a few that the new manager might want to run his eye over. But maybe he wanted to run his eye over, you know. The whole first team, which is practically what was was there, uh, or maybe it, like I say, it was just Mister Jusnip sort of wanting to um, add a bit to the war chest. But it was a very strong selection, uh, and you'd like to think would have been able to to put Sutton to the sword a little more easily. But as well as Sutton's, you know, uh, very organised low block, which I thought you know worked very well. We were missing Azaz for the first time, and as we've commented, you know, that the stats show he's he's almost literally involved in everything that you know, we do offensively. So of course we were going to miss that link up. He is very much the the spark to so much, the turn, the close control, the ball control to get past the man. And then all of a sudden uh, we've got overloads and, and, and things happen. Now, I think a few people maybe reacted quite extremely to that situation. The team have only had one session to, to work without him. Uh, and that's the first game without Azar. So of course we were going to look a little uh, at a loss at times. So I think the sort of, ah, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to fix this problem is a little bit premature. I think with a bit of time, um, the the team, whether it's through recruitment or through, you know, using other pl- players' strengths and changing the way we play slightly, um, you should be able to to sort of overcome that to a small degree. I don't think you're ever going to replace a player like Finazaz. I think he is sort of much like Morgan, Morgan Whittaker, quite a, a unique player uh, in his skill set. But um, I think maybe some of the, the pearl clutching about that is a bit premature. But it definitely was, you know, it definitely showed. It definitely showed there was there was a stodginess to the build up um, at times, which Sutton capitalised on um, and sort of frustrated play. Um, but we got the goals in the end. Morgan Whitaker, although I've, you know, again he, he he didn't he flitted in and out of the game as he sometimes does. But that doesn't really matter when you can produce quality like he does. He won the penalty. Um, he should have had a second penalty awarded for what ended up being just a two handed shove. Um, uh, so you know he made the difference, um, and the same with the you know with his goal was quite fortuitous. Really, it took a really wicked top spin off of the deflection, um, which doesn't necessarily show up on the the highlights, but it was quite clear from the Devonport. It really you know his perfect sort of uh, clip that took off the defender to loop over the keeper. But you know um, him and Cundall, some some moments of brilliance um, at times. Sort of the clash showed. I thought Joe Edwards showed quite a bit of um, nous to sort of um, you know, sort of experience harrying at the right times and uh, even his chance at the end where he very you know he, he showed experience to not give away where the ball was in the air when the defender had lost it and he sort of stayed very still let it let it drop onto his head and, and gave himself a chance that sort of experience was useful i think in the team um it was quite worrying to see a lot of um chatting shouting amongst the players but you don't necessarily see uh, when you're not there um there was a lot of talk and a lot of um heated discussion which is good uh, but at the same time sort of um 
maybe it's a bit dis- disconcerting, especially very early on. There were people shouting at the goalkeeper to talk, to communicate. Um, uh, who Edwards wasn't it cleared out someone in frustration because Houghton hadn't he didn't feel Houghton was in the right position and he needed to stop the break and that was more I think a frustration with Houghton and 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 sort of like the way the team were were organized um so that's it's good to see the fight and the spirit and the attempts to communicate but you'd hope against a team like Sutton we should have been a little bit better organized but again um we are going through a transition process and and things you know aren't as fluid oh sorry they are more fluid than you'd like them to be especially missing the key cog in attack um and lastly my takeaway from the game, I thought two things um, were very encouraging. One was Brendan Galloway's performance. He was more physical than I've seen. He's a very cerebral player and he can play the game that way, but he was more physical yesterday than I've seen him at any point this season. He, um, he, he, he pressed up against strong midfielders and attackers really sort of took the physical contact. He made some sliding, you know, really physical uh, clearances and tackles. And that bodes well. That sort of seems to suggest that he's more confident in the, in his body, um, that he's probably back to um, better health and that he could be a really pivotal player in the second half of the season. And the other thing that I thought was really encouraging was Freddie Osaka's performance. Um, yes, he sort of made some mistakes. Yes, he was dispossessed easily at times, but um, that's to be expected when you're getting used to the speed and the and the power of you know, playing um, men's football. Um, and he seen, he, he his speed of thought is the most um, impressive thing. He makes the right decision and he makes it quickly. I thought... You know the Orient game. He he came down the the left wing, and rather than putting a ball to the back post, he just put a little chip on it, so it, it dipped over it between the defender in uh, in the channel to the the man running. Who I think it was Wayne at the time. And at that moment, I thought, oh, he's got the brain to to sort of play at a decent level, and he's he's taken the step up again, again against another uh, lower league op- opponent. But in front of fifteen thousand people, he seemed to make the right decision again and again. Um, and the mistakes that he did make, all the the, the the errors that were made were things which you will very quickly be able to 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 learn and overcome. They weren't sort of uh, processing errors or things that are going to sort of have to be coached out of him. Something he will, I think, he'll adapt quite well um, to to the to first team football. That was really promising. And and some of the touches, some of the crosses, obviously he had played an integral part in the first goal, but the outside of the boot cross that just went past Hardy and a few other you know a few other moments, he was really impressive. So that bodes really well and he also spoke I thought very well for a 17 year old um to to sort of comp- comport himself so well um in the in the post-match presser I presume they'd sort of prepped and they'd be doing that but I uh, thought he handled himself really well so that's really really promising and really encouraging so on the whole you know happy with the result um not so much the performance but there's obviously big caveats as to why why that was um and good to hear the manager sort of got an idea from watching them of what he needs to do hereafter uh, and hopefully he's um on the training ground start of the week and and putting that into place yeah um there was obviously a key incident in the second half when morgan whitaker won us a penalty um going over the challenge of a sutton defender um i was actually not at the game yesterday but i did listen to it on argyle tv while watching final score on the bbc with the sound off um and final score because it was fa cup weekend had all the key moments being played um on video which was uh, a nice change to um what you normally get with them which is um, all talk and yeah, I, I think there was some disagreement among the pundits in the studio as to whether it was a penalty. And certainly I think one of them was at least initially saying they didn't think it was that Whitaker had gone down easily. Does anyone agree with that? Or did we all think it was a penalty? 
Clear penalty. Don't know, don't know why there was any doubt about it at all. And the second one should have been a penalty as well. Yeah, it's very hard to see, um, but I can totally understand why the referee's given it, even if he hasn't. The thing is, even if he gets to the ball, he's he's cleared the man out, which you, you can't really do. Um, it's not... A, there's no way he's going to get that ball without taking Whitaker out, even if he's made contact. So, um, you know, that that does that, that qualifies as a foul. Um, but he hasn't given the second one because he's given the first. So on the balance, you know, you could call it one and a half penalties at worst. It's probably two. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really have much sympathy. I, th- I think the ref gave it straight away. It was an indication of it was clear in his mind. And <clears throat> I, I've sat halfway line of the Lindhurst and from that angle, it looked a clear penalty and everybody was up calling for it. So I don't think there's any dispute. Yeah. Um, Sam, I'm going to come to you next. Um, and I saw a tweet from uh, the Argyle Hater account yesterday uh, saying, some of the grief a few of the players got today is a bit much for me. Um, uh, saying, for example, that Whitaker, comfortably our best player now, uh, was absolutely atrocious, but this game means little. Um, goes on to say, I just don't think you can take a great deal out of games like this. Complacency, flat atmosphere, lots of things contribute to performances like that. Don't think it's that deep, really. Um Obviously, it was not, I could tell just from listening to it, uh, even through the uh, green-tinted vocal cords of the Argyle TV commentators, probably not our finest ever performance. Um, And I guess there's sort of a little bit of inbuilt disappointment uh, among people who see that you're playing the worst team in in the Football League on paper and expect you to dispatch them 8 or 9-0. But that very rarely happens uh, in games like this. And I think we actually saw... I was watching the sort of BBC match of the day highlights this morning of all of the games from yesterday. And there were a lot of teams um, of about Sutton's level, or in some cases, even below in the Football League pyramid, who gave established League One and Championship teams really, really difficult afternoons. Um, so, yes, yeah, so how, how do you sort of evaluate the performance with all that in in mind? Is it worthy of deep criticism, do you think? Or is it just, you know, one of those things that, that kind of happens when you're playing a team that on paper you should put away very easily, but in practice it doesn't work like that? Um, yeah, I think when, when an account called Argyle Hater, I suppose, measured take, you know, the fan base is getting a bit restless, don't you? Um, yeah, um, I think, I think it was a pretty poor performance. There's no way of getting around that, if I'm honest with you. Um, I, I take all the points on board of the mitigating factors that we're adapting to a new style, adapting to a new head coach. Sutton did do very well. They dug in, they put in a performance that we'd have been proud of if we were in League Two, you know, struggling and then going to a team two leagues higher up. So credit to Sutton, um, their caretaker manager in his final game, set them up well. But I think it was a poor performance. The basics were not done right for enough of that game. The first half was sloppy. I know we went ahead. I just felt the game was played at training match intensity from a lot of the players. I don't think there were many players playing with the same level of intensity that they would do in a normal match, apart from... Isaka, Edwards and Randall, I think would have three, only three. Um, Galloway as well would be a fourth, actually. But yeah, only really those four played the same level of intensity that you would normally get. Um, not saying other players didn't have good moments. I mean, Whitaker won a penalty, should have won a second penalty and scored a brilliant goal, but he didn't play with anything like the intensity he normally does. That desire to get on the ball, that you know tenacity when he's on the ball, that first to make something happen. Um, Cundall again, even though he got a goal, I think he was anonymous so much of the game. When he actually did get on the ball, he did some good things with it. I won't dispute that, but 
very lightweight, didn't really show for the ball. Um, I thought Callum Wright was quite poor. Didn't again, didn't really get involved with the game. He's not a central midfielder. Um, Hardy was quite anonymous for a lot of the game. In, in all truth, I, I think the intensity was just really lacking. Um, we just we just weren't doing the basic things. And I and I, I, I said to the lady I sit with, they're going to score in a minute just before they did. And I, I, I think we all sort of knew it was coming, and and, and they did. And I'd like to say that woke us up, but it didn't really. It sort of carried on, carried on in the same vein, and, and hasn't made a good, good save to stop it going two-one. So I, you know, I think I think that was that was at the point where things, you know, in the crowd was starting to get a bit tetchy. Crowd was starting to get on the players' backs a little bit at that point of time. Um, and then, yeah, sort of out of nowhere, we we go up the other end, and Whitaker is, is hacked down for a penalty, which was rightly given. We go two and up, should have had another penalty, and then eventually Whitaker does fire one in. And yeah, that last, you know, that last spell of the game was a what what was a lot better, uh, for sure. But I think the first half was quite sloppy, quite complacent. The twenty to twenty-five minute spell between the start of the second half and going two and up almost against the run of play was a really, really poor spell. And I think I, I think there will be some words said about that spell in the game. Not necessarily for me and Foster, he's just making his squad, but he's probably not going to want to give them a massive rollicking on day one. We are in the hat after all, but I think from you, Snip and Nanskerville, there will be some words about that that spell because it, it wasn't good enough and it wasn't intense enough. Um, I, I kind of see the point of, of the tweet you're making that we don't want to dig out individual players, if, if only because they were all quite bad. But... <laughs> So, you know, I don't think picking on in, on particular individuals is, is, is the way to go because the vast majority of them, barring three or four, were pretty poor. Even though I think Edwards and Asaka showed intensity, I, I still think that certainly Edwards didn't show much quality on the ball, even though he did have the intensity. Isaka, um it definitely had some good moments. I don't think he's a wide player. I think he's a more central player. So I think he was kind of figuring out his role a little bit in the game. Uh, I don't think he was he was in his natural position, really. Um, yeah, so, so, so uh, not not a great day at the office performance wise. But we've gone into the hat, um, so I, I just think the <laughs> I know I'm saying this on a podcast talking about it, but I think the less said about the performance, the better. Certainly, lessons to learn from it, and let's just hope we play a lot better than that. I just thought we're going to have to do to get a result. Can I ask yeah. Sam as the resident um, body language expert, and given that he was so smug about the way he, uh, I, I don't say smug, but smug. About the way he he read um, uh, the uh, Schumacher, I can't believe I forgot his name. Schumacher's sort of uh, the proximity he had to the to the Devonport at the end of that his last game. Cundall, when he scored, really didn't seem. He seemed almost like he'd scored against his old team. I wondered if you thought if you want to read any uh, any tea leaves in in into that. Well, I just um, I should just jump in to say that as we are recording this, literally one minute ago, Luke Condal has been recalled by Wolves. Come on to that. Um, oh, sorry if I've stolen. Come on to that item in a little bit. Wow. I'm going to discuss wow. the transfer window. Um, you couldn't have timed that any any better, man. That's incredible timing of that question. Luke Condal has been recalled by Wolves. Um, in all honesty. Sam, let me, let me ask you this then. Condal's incredibly enthusiastic celebration just shows that he is totally committed to the Green Army and coming back on a permanent deal. Uh, next week. Yeah. Um, look, it would be so easy for me having had that fortuitous time when you said I foresaw it. In all honesty, I didn't really read too much into it. I, I, I thought it was just more the fact that 
it's a low tempo, it's a cup game, we were expected to win, therefore it wasn't much of a vociferous celebration. So I didn't actually read too much into that. When I saw other people say it after the game, I sort of looked back at it and thought, oh yeah, you know, that might be a thing. But did I know, did I did I think it at the time? No, no, not really. Um you Yeah, but obviously them. now you had every opportunity yeah. to claim that one. You'd have been two for two then. I could have claimed that one, but no, I, I didn't really. But yeah, so well, I, I, I think that's the first time in all our time doing this we've had a fairly big piece of news break mid-record, isn't it? And and, and there we have it. Luke Underwood's been recalled. Uh, yeah, disappointing news, but I'm sure we'll talk talk about that a bit more in a later section. So yeah, we will we will come on to discuss that a little later in the pod. Um, but we'll just uh, stay with the game for the moment. I, I would just add on Cundor for now that I think if he did know that this was something that was likely to happen. And we've all seen rumours in the last few days. I would personally prefer him to celebrate in a muted way than to kiss the badge and, you know, do cartwheels in front of the, um, well, in, in front of the barn park, it would have been, um, for his goal. Uh, but we'll, we'll come on to, to him again in a bit. Um, Graham, I wanted to come to you and firstly ask you just sort of a broader question about Ian Foster, because you were, um, I think, of those present, um, the only one who was uh, not on our immediate reaction pod, which we all uh blearily jumped onto disturbing our packed friday night social calendars to immediately sit before the computer and uh, opine on foster's appointment but um yeah first of all before i ask you a more specific question about foster in the game what did what do you actually make of the hire in general what's your take on it it met the recruitment brief that simon hallett and andrew parkinson put together you know head coach not a manager um and i was struck by them saying that they drew up a list as soon as uh, we got promoted because they thought Stephen Schumacher might end up going sometime soon and they wanted a short list of people. And I'm pretty sure Ian Foster was on that list because he was, he's been widely acclaimed throughout the England um, setup as one of the best coaches. He's moved up, up to the under 20s, I think, in the end. He won the European Championship with, I think, the under 17s. So he's sitting at Gareth Southgate's top coaching table. And of course, Neil Jusnip is familiar with that setup. So I'm pretty sure he was high up on their target list. And um, <clears throat> seemingly from what they've said, he did a good interview. I did hear that Anthony Barry of Bayern Munich was also interviewed. So it's been quite a high bar. I mean, I don't know about the Paul Cook rumours. That is just bizarre, given that given the brief that they set, but he's reputedly one of the top 20 quali most qualified coaches in England. So, and we've got, we've got, we've got him. So um, he's obviously an ideas man. He's got a set way of playing, which I think is three, four, three, preferably, which is interesting because yesterday we went four, three, three, and it didn't work because we couldn't progress. We couldn't transition very well when you compare it to, how we did with Watford, how we moved through the gears and transitioned, we were nowhere near that sort of. And I think part of the problem was uh, both Galloway and Scar had the ball at their feet and they had no options. And they didn't, for some reason, want to step forward into that 10-yard gap. So we we just didn't get going as a result. And I think that's part of someone's defensive play. So he would have seen that. It'd be interesting to see whether he goes uh, three at the back for Huddersfield. Um, he seems to intimate he might do. And I think on the reflection, when you look at that Watford game and we had 31 shots and played magnificently, 
I, I, I hope he does go that way. And, and, and with now Cundall going, <clears throat> as has gone, it opens the door for some uh, loans that he might know from his England setup. People at Arsenal and you know Spurs, all those sort of top young players who might not quite be making their breakthrough into the first team, probably scoring well in the under 23s or under 21s. And we might get some really good players, but they're going to be young, I suspect. I can't see us getting much experience. I think we're going to run with a young, exciting team. And whether that's good enough with the Wiley teams in the championship, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and just staying with you, Graham, I um, wrote in in one of our group chats yesterday at 1-1. Terrible decision by Ian Foster to come straight into the dugout for the first game today. He'll be associated with this um, potential cup set. And then at 3-1, I wrote, great great decision from Ian Foster to come straight into the dugout today. Uh, gets his first win immediately. But um, uh, obviously, in, in all seriousness, it was uh, something of a surprise, I think, to see him um, in the dugout. I think there'd been some suggestion, I think maybe even in his interview with the club that he was going to take a watching brief. And then even when it was, um, even when it transpired that he would be in the dugout, it seemed maybe like he would take a bit of a step, you know, a backseat and, and let others do the managing, but he was very clearly in charge. So how, how do you sort of assess that decision from him to come into a game situation where he has not, by all accounts, picked the team, by his own account, in fact, um, you know, where he's obviously not had any time on the grass with the players. It, it was a risk to do that. Do you think that was the it right... Was, do, you think that was a, do you think that was a good call from Foster? Well, I was only thinking about Paul Sturrock because um, his first FA Cup game was a one-all draw away at Chester and he lost the replay at home. So I was thinking, well, crikey, it's going to be a similar pattern. But I mean, he wasn't very demonstrative on the touchline. I didn't see him pointing and encouraging, or he was more observing. He spent more as much time sat in his seat as he did on standing within the within the box area. Um, he did write down a lot. I noticed that. So, uh, but in terms of substitutions, I, I actually thought bringing on Houghton changed the game back in our favour when we were losing a, a grip on it. Um, the other substitutions are in line with what I would have made, except perhaps Bundu for Ben Wayne. But I did notice Bundu ran off to the changing rooms and I didn't actually see him reappear, to be fair. So I don't know whether he's fully fit on that. But um, he made the right decisions. He got the right result. So in the end, it was the right decision. Uh, I mean, I think it was a bit uncomfortable going to the Devonport end before the game to sort of clap. I think he was a bit self-conscious about it, which is understood. But he, he was he was equally relatively subdued after the game. But I don't think he's going to be in the Ryan Lowe fist-pumping brigade, which is a welcome relief. Yeah, I was, sorry, just, I, I thought very similar lines that he didn't seem to... He, was, he, he came over to Devonport, gave a wave and, and got in the dugout. And the fact that he wanted to be in the dugout, I think, shows just he wants to get about business. He doesn't seem to be... He seems to be very um, driven, uh, very... I wouldn't say workaholic, but, I mean, he, you know, he said... I think someone said on, on, on Twitter that they'd sort of seen him before the game and he's like, what's the point of me being up here eating prawn sandwiches was was the quote and I, I need to be down looking at my players and so fully focused on the task ahead and that's the sort of you know I've got no problem with those who are media friendly if they also do that part of their job but if I had to pick one one trait to have in the manager being incredibly focused and enjoying your football to a sort of almost uh, manic degree is, is, is what is, is 
the, the trait I'd, I'd most like to have in my manager. So he seems completely uh, into the role straight away. You know, as, as he said in his post-match presser, he's got, he had today, which is Sunday, the day we were recording um, his, his recruitment meeting and then he'll be on, you know, in with the players meeting them. So he seems fully, you know, in at the deep end and, and off um, with all cylinders firing. And that's, you know, what we need right now with this window as, you know, with the breaking news we've had. Um, and with with, with Azaz going to Borough. So, um, you know, that bodes well, I think, the fact that he wanted to to do that is exactly what, you know, what we need. And finally, before I move on to some listener comments and questions, Sam, after Stephen Schumacher came closer than expected to the Devonport end, uh, which ultimately portended his imminent move to Stoke, what did Ian Foster's physical distance from the fans suggest about his committedness to the club? Full commitment, do you think? Or can we uh, expect a call from another championship side? coming in soon um, <laughs> um i think no i think he sort of sort of what what graham said he's he's in his um manner in his demeanor more like schumacher than like low that's not to say that necessarily means anything because schumacher left us as well but i think he's going to be more reserved in his manner of talking he, he's not going to be somebody who will constantly big himself up and run up and down and do fist bumps i think he'll be somebody who maybe saves the more vociferous celebration for when for games we really earn it rather than someone who will you know manufacture a big fist bump after every game like Lowe did um I look I, I think he seems a quite a quite a well-spoken guy I was the the one of anybody who well it's not against the appointment as such was certainly more skeptical of the appointment and and perhaps the process than, than anybody else um, he seems impressive in in his interview on Argyle TV and in his um, post match interview of obviously out of the Sutton game. Yeah, but he's walking into a very very difficult situation. Um, we Finn has, uh, has has been recalled. Luke Cundall has now been recalled. There, there's you know Twitter tonight is is a wash with rumours of bids for Whitaker. May come to absolutely nothing, but. He he's sort of um, sort of like the meme of um, uh, you know with the house on fire and it's fine it's fine you know it's not fine uh, it's sort of like that situation he's walking into at the minute um, and, and I really think it's going to be a baptism of fire for him and I think he does deserve a chance and deserve patience and I really hope that he's he and Juice Snip have have got a few cards up their sleeve for what's going to come next because there are uh, not that this will affect it really because he's going either way but. Um, I did have a little bit of a browse on, on social media as we're talking of the reaction to the Cundle news. And um, I tell you now, social media is awash with rumours that he's soon going to be announced by Stoke City. So the Cundle, that is. So that's, yeah, just what we need. Well, we'll um, again talk about those rumours uh, a little bit more in a moment. But now on to some listener um, comments and questions about the Sutton game. Yesterday, Rhubarb says, happy with the win. Plenty for Foster to work on, though. Would like to see us take care of the ball better for one. Uh, Ali Kin says, in the in the fourth round draw, so that's what matters. Wasn't our vintage performance as of late at home either. Atmosphere was a bit flat, but expected that. Uh, Strictly Plymouth said, scrappy. Sutton made it hard for us. Uh, but 100k in the kitty and in the hat for round four. Ali Griffiths said, uh, made hard work for ourselves. Galloway, great. Still yet to have any confidence in Hazard and thought Kundal and Isaka had great games. Uh, onwards and up, a win is a win. Uh, Trent says, poor, but who cares? Mark Reed says, game was as lackluster as the crowd. Argyle, but main thing is into the fourth round. And Mark Harrison says, result that counts, move on. So a fairly... Uh, unanimous um train of thought emerging there um 
on some questions then, um, Jack Leslie says, just how do we replace Azaz? It was something today, admittedly, but the humongous void of no Azaz in midfield was so obvious. Everything would go through him. Callum Wright, for me, is far too ponderous and hesitant, and Kundal doesn't have the same creativity or goal threat, and of course, Kundal is now gone as well. Um, massive loss. So, Ben, you talked a little bit at the beginning about um, Azaz uh, and, and sort of his absence and, and how it affected the game yesterday, but more generally, how would you sort of um, answer Jack Leslie's question there? How, how can we um, replace his impact. Is it is, is it a question of trying to find a player who is kind of akin to him at linking play, or is it about changing the style a little bit so that we don't have to go, you know, we, we don't have to rely essentially on someone of his um, caliber coming in, which might be a, a tough ask given just how good he was. Yeah, I think that's you've you've just hit the nail on the head regarding whether we can replace him. I think that's going to be practically impossible because having you know watched Leicester, having watched Leeds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I haven't seen anybody with control of the ball at his level in the, in the championship this, this season. And it's not even close. I mean, there've been certain players that I've watched and they've done things, which I've not seen anyone else do. Somerville ghosting past people, not just against Argyle, but against other teams. He's, he's just, you know, that, that sort of burst and flow past people, not seen anyone else do that in the, in the, in the championship this season. Azaz is close control. I keep, you know, talking about the goal against Norwich, but he's done it on more than one occasion. But the way he sort of sells the lollipop to two defenders and they've got no idea where the ball is and he puts it in the... He doesn't even manage to put it in the bottom left-hand corner. It's just that, you know, he, he takes the, the keeper and both defenders by surprise. You're not going to be able to go out... I mean, it would be uh, it'd be like throwing a a dart at the wall and managing to hit a you know a mosquito if you went out for a, to, to, to find a loan and you have someone that comes in and develops quickly into someone with that ability it's just it's just such a rare and that's that's what what that's that skill is particularly why he works so well in our midfield because it allows us to overload and break the press um in the same you know Mumba did it in a different way with his ability to dribble early in the season but it's as as close control his ability to spin a man and find a pass and open up the space to, to bring another man into play is why he, he you know he's involved in was it 90 plus percent of our our, our goals and our attacking um opportunities so I've, I've rambled on the point but I don't think we can go out and, and replace him directly I think we might be able to find someone in a similar mold who hopefully we could develop um to, to fulfill a similar role but I also think we have to replace him by committee by the influence and the involvement of other players um and um adapting the roles that they play within the team um, because he, he had basically become a quarterback in the middle of the pitch, hadn't he? You know, he, he received the balls from the fullbacks, from the centre-backs, played back to him from the wide men, and he was very much the go-to. You know, he started everything off. So we're going to need other players to to take that on board, which they didn't seem to do much yesterday. But it, that will happen with, with time and practice, with, you know, with, with the manager on the training pitch. He will put ideas across of what he would like certain players to do. He'll t he'll put forward what the triggers are to be, whether it's Miller or it's Mumba on the left. You know, you know, at this point, I want you to just go. I want you to overlap on et cetera. If it's on the right, spring in Whitaker free. I mean, both there's a lot of our players capable of, of playing pretty decent uh, cross field balls and, and, and long balls, even mm -hmm. through the middle, if not over the top. So, um, you know, that we might be that we become slightly more direct um, uh, and try and use a, especially if Bundu becomes a more integral part of the team. There's all, you know, there's, there's you could eulogize, you could talk all day about the different things we could do, whether, you know, what is optimal and what is practical and what the manager thinks is the best options is, you know, we, we will find out. But I think very much 
the likelihood is we will try and find someone who can plug the hole as much as we can and then it will be on the manager and the rest of the team by committee finding other ways to um you know everybody chipping a little bit more taking on a bit of that responsibility and using the skills that other players do to fulfill the same role because there's just no there's no way you can replace Finn as that Kundal you know going that's that's sad but you know I think there's there's skill sets out there which are comparable if we can make the uh, if we can get hold of hold of them, but you know we're not going to be able to replace us. That's something we're just going to have to work around. Sadly, yeah, I agree, and I think um, a new manager coming in, while none of this is very optimal, is a sort of good opportunity to um, learn how to attack with similar potency, but in a slightly different way. Because as, as you say, I don't think we're going to be able to conjure up a one for one replacement there. I've talked at great length before about um, what a special player he is you know given his uh, maturity and vision and technical ability that that kind of marriage of um uh, capabilities for a player of his age is is very rare i think i would also say though um in in response to the question a little bit that um it, maybe we shouldn't extrapolate too much from an fa cup game against a team that were seemingly quite fired up and also a team that obviously are going to come and play away against us that we're probably unlikely to encounter um too often in the league uh this season um Graham, another question coming in on X, formerly known as Twitter. Ed Blackburn says, defence, are we shopping through sloppiness, general poor play? How do we address this? Is it as simple as better players or are we pulling the blanket up uh, too high? So I'm not entirely sure what uh, the blanket analogy means, um, but how do you how do you sort of see the, the defence? Obviously, only one goal conceded uh, yesterday, albeit against a team in uh, pretty dire straits in League Two, but they did have some other good opportunities that they could have put well, away. I think it depends whether we're going to play three at the back. If we play three at the back, <clears throat> Dan Scar probably is better placed to be the centre because he's the one who can win the most headers. Dan Scar in a four worries the life out of me. Um, he was culpable for the Sutton goal. <clears throat> he is not comfortable with the ball at his feet. He doesn't move it quickly. So any team playing against him, we just let him have the ball because he's more likely not to be successful in his past completion rate. And so he worries me. Um, so I think physicality is where we're going to sort of need to address it. And just going back to Azaz and Kundal going, neither of them had physicality in or present of that sort of presence in midfield. And when you Look at the Watford midfield. If you look at Jake Livermore, <clears throat> second half, he ran the game for, through fear, sheer physical presence. And I hope, whilst we won't be able to replicate the skill level of us as, that we get somebody physical. And si similarly, um, we're a small team. We're, we're not a physical team. And I think we're going to get some physical battles the second half of the season because we've got most of the away games against the bottom half of the table, they're going to be uh, blood and snotters, to use uh, Paul Sturrock's term. And we need those sort of players to safeguard our uh, championship position. So I hope that the recruitment in the next few weeks is going to be based on more physicality because we are short. And I think that applies to the defence. I would look for a right wing back. Um, as much as I like Joe Edwards, it's one hell of a season to sort of keep doing those long busting runs that he's going to do. KKH is young, got a mistake in him. 
so possibly a right wing back to provide cover, um, but defence certainly a dominating centre half to play central with Pleggy and um, Lewis Gibson either side if we're playing a three or alongside Lewis Gibson if we're playing a four. Yeah. Um, and that's a nice segue into the next conversation, which finally is recruitment. But Sam, uh, firstly, um, our most important uh, Twitter question from yesterday from Desparta Parabellum. How do I get my trainers to that level of white? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he certainly doesn't leave them out in the rain, does he? Because he's been in Saudi Arabia, so there's, there's not been much rain. So he must put a hell of a lot of effort into washing them. Um, yeah, I, that was it was quite unusual, wasn't it? It's not really the sort of thing you, you, you see any manager wearing or, or any manager wearing, really. It um, doesn't really fit. Uh, either a, a suit manager or a tracksuit manager, but uh, if it gets results, then then who cares what he wears on his feet? To be fair, Shuey Shuey wore white trainers or whatever. The, the yeah, you just they, they were kind of they more sort of grey, murky sort of colour. They weren't quite as glisteningly white as. Well, Adidas, I'm a if we get Liverpool at home, he'd be clashing with Jurgen Klopp's teeth. That <laughs> yeah, very and, and, good. And exactly, yeah. That's and, what and, he wants. He wants to Liverpool at home. So. Yeah, he, he does. And, and I've got a sneaky feeling. I mean, it'd be wonderful if we could get that. Uh, could get Jurgen an even bigger pasty this time. I was about to say, yeah, double, yeah, double, yeah. Double, yeah. pasties out, yeah. Get one to stretch across the entire pitch, maybe. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, moving on. Graham was just talking about recruitment. Um, Sam, to come to you with a serious question. Uh, not that uh, glistening white trainers are not a serious matter. Um Foster said in his post-match interview yesterday that he was going into a recruitment meeting today, um, at Sunday, so the day we're recording, uh, which I assume, unless he wants to still be working at 8.50pm, he's already had. Um, what would you be looking for if you're him? Um, more in terms of, I guess, type of player than any sort of specific names, although you can feel free to drop in a couple of names if you would like. Um, Wow. Well, obviously, the question now is different to if you've asked it a few days ago, isn't it? And it, you well, know, or, or forty-five if, minutes ago, or forty-five minutes ago, and it, and if the rumours awash on Twitter this evening are true, it could be very different again in a few days. Let's assume Whitaker does stay for now. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask about certain. that. Yeah, I'm gonna ask. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to think. I think for anything else, direct replacements for Azaz and Candle. So two 
attacking midfield or attacking central midfield type players who ideally could play in either a 3-4-3 or a 4-3-3 because that's that's what we what we're kind of veering between um so so like for like locations for those two ideally um there's a, there's going to be most likely another centre midfielder coming in and Lewis Warrington going back to Everton. Um, Jay Matete is the name on Twitter. Could see it. Um, I think he started brilliantly his previous loan spell. He did tail off towards the end, but I, I wonder if there's maybe an aspect that, that, that might work a bit better with him in the Championship League really One because he's not having to fight against low blocks, which was always a difficulty with him. I think against teams who push up and leave space for him to burst into with his lung-busting runs of the ball uh, and, and his great close control of the ball, I think Matete in the Championship might be a gamble worth taking. Uh, I still think he'd have to rein in certain aspects of his play, certainly his tackling off the ball. I think you need to rein in a little bit. He was a walking yellow card for much of his spell with us. But I think Matete as a Warrington replacement, let's face it, he, he couldn't really contribute less than Warrington, could he, if we're being bluntly honest. I feel even if he's just a bit of a super sub, just a bit of a wild card, that would at least be more than Warrington's contributed. So, yeah, central midfielder coming in, which might or might not be Joe Matete. Um, I think another centre-back for sure, ideally two. If Gillespie does go to Charlton, although I think now with how long that's dragged on, I think the failed medical rumours are are probably true. So if Gillespie's staying, I guess we can make do with one more centre-back uh, rather than two. Um, so what have we got? We've got, another, we've got a centre-back, we've got two attacking midfielders. Um, obviously, a central midfielder to replace Warrington. So if we're assuming three loan recalls, four coming in, that's a net plus one. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing another striker. I know now that Hardy and Bundu are both back. That's not so urgent as it was. But I just think having a different type of striker would, would be important, like a big target man to, to, to you know, not not to completely change our style of play, but just someone like Ennis, for example. Ennis was still suited to an attacking play along the ground, but he could also act as a target man, someone who can just bring others into play, who can compete for long boards. It's all very well saying, we don't want to change our style of play. We don't want to do long balls, but but often we do do long balls as it is. It's just the difference we're doing long balls to people who can't compete for them. Whereas at least if we're doing long balls to people you, who can compete for them, that'd be better. Do you think there's any chance of Josh Coburn, who of course we were pretty publicly linked with in the summer? Um, I say that just because since then he has kind of become actually one of Middlesbrough's first choice strikers. Obviously he scored twice against us um, at home park in the three all draw back in November. But, you know, while I don't follow Middlesbrough um, particularly closely, obviously I will now that Azaz has gone there, my, my favourite player. But um, it, there were some noises coming out when he was their first choice striker that the fans weren't totally happy with him, that it seemed like it wasn't necessarily quite working out. He has gone through periods of, you know, relatively lean goal scoring form. Um, and I just wonder if they do manage to get a couple of strikers in the door, which seemingly was the impediment to us doing the Coburn deal in the summer was that they failed to sign a striker. You know, I, I just, I don't know if I would totally, totally discount that as a possibility, but maybe I'm. I think Carrick came out and addressed that and said that he gave him the chance because he kind of had to, and he seems to have taken it. Uh, and so they're quite happy with him now. I think he kind of, was putting that to bed early in the window just just a few days ago. Now, as you say, if they do bring in a couple of strikers, that changes. Um, but the implication was that was going to be down their list of priorities, um, and they're quite happy with the job he's done so far. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see those comments, but I um, 
but uh, I also do think that things can change somewhat quickly in football. So I, I would not necessarily discount that. But a, a player of his, a striker of his kind of caliber and physicality and height would surely be um, a good addition, certainly in light of what Graham was saying about extra physicality being needed throughout the team. Yeah, I mean, the, the player that we were looking at, at least, is Jordan Huddersfield, who is Bo, Bojan Radulovic. I think he went for just over a million in the end. But he had a scoring record of 19 in 23 in Helsinki, played in the Europa Cup, whatever version of it. So somebody that I know, Jimmy Dickinson, went up and had a look, because Stephen Schumacher accidentally said that he'd flown up to it, Aberdeen to watch a player. Well... Suddenly, everybody was looking to see how, who Aberdeen were playing. So he would have been, he's six foot three, goal scorer, he would have been somebody that might have fitted the bill. I think Coburn, if he comes, if he did come, would be almost like a last day thing if Middlesbrough decide. <clears throat> but I, I can't see him coming early. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in uh, somewhere near the Potteries. Well, um, Coburn, of course might be one who has us all sat waiting by our phone on transfer deadline day again but this time this time it'll be different uh, and he definitely will turn up uh maybe possibly um, i think he was very much in touch with stephen schumacher he could he try to get him in the summer uh, i don't know ian foster whether he will pursue it i i'd be i would think he would if he's gonna go anywhere he'll end up in stoke i i think I think I don't want to prolong this conversation about uh, Coburn too much, but I think Coburn has had some action in, in England's youth setup at some level. So it wouldn't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. surprise me if he has worked with Ian Foster, although, of course, that's going to be true of a lot of players. Um, ben, I'll give you an opportunity to answer the same question as uh, Graham and Sam. What would you be looking for if you had been Ian Foster with his dazzling white trainers in that recruitment meeting today? What would you be laying out? I'd probably be getting some vanish to clean the grass stains off. That'd be the first thing on my shopping list. Um, well, I think... all our players are vanishing. So, <laughs> very good. Um, I said on the the last um, when we we speculated on the last um, the last pod that someone in the mould of a Sonny Bradley could change the tenor of the team if you've got a big unit who's not afraid to put a foot in to play the the, you know, the hard aspect of the game to demand levels of uh, of everybody around them then that can just change the psychology of the team it can set a standard um, and so e even just one center back of that caliber of that type could have a big impact on the way the team plays and you might get away with just the one center back now that we obviously need to um, to fill the midfield um, with, 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 with urgency um, it might well be that the, the style and that even the team that we see finish the second half of the season is very different from that which we've seen in the first half because you could argue it's easier to construct a tough to beat gritty organized three four three high press and then if you need to low block if you're you know haven't got the you know if you if you are struggling to 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 to, to make the high press work you can change that that system to fit. Uh, it's easier to construct that in a short period of time. There's players out there who can fill that role. And then in the summer, you know, um, perhaps the manager can go out and find the more creative, the more expansive. So um, I think it might well be, especially if you've lost your two, I wouldn't say Kundal actually was in the top two most creative sort of like, you know, midfielders in that sense, but he's, I imagine he's, you know, considered the natural heir to Azaz as the creator in the team, even though he has a different profile. If you lose, lose those two guys, it might be easier to go out and find a, um, a team more in that 
mold uh, to to recruit more easily in that mold of a of a three four three, which is gritty. Um, so it might well be that we see a very different sort of setup and different um, style for the second half of the season. Not that we're going to suddenly all have become, you know, horrible to play and horrible to watch, but um, I'd, it makes sense to give the manager sort of. If you work with the assets you've got, don't you? If you've got great assets, you say to the manager, "Look, you're going to have to work with Azaz. You're going to have to work with with Kundal. They're they're our best players. If they're not there, you have more license to say to him, look, you know, let's build this more in your image.' Um, so yeah, I think the one centre back that can set the tone is important. And then, as, as Sam said, you've got midfielders, and as Graham suggested, maybe a couple of nasty midfielders would help. A couple, a bit more physical presence, so that allows you then not to have to rely on people like. Miller and, and Mumba putting in physical challenges against guys with sort of two stone and six inches of height uh, on them and, and risking injury and, and, and not being able to play their game. So, so yeah, uh, there's, there's so much that we need potentially. Um, I guess it's a case of what's been lined up, what comes through the door first, what we can get over the line dictates where the needs are. But yeah, we definitely need a centre back. We need at least, I'd say three midfielders of different types. We'd need two creative one, um, you know, whether it's someone to sit alongside Houghton or to rotate with Houghton. Um, and then, you know, if you'll be in, if, if that all comes to fruition, then we can start looking at the fullbacks and the strikers. But that would be, in my opinion, absolutely essential. At least one centre back. If you get that right, you don't need a second, but you need at least three high quality midfielders. Um, and yeah, and then, we, but I guess we'll see what the recruitment team, what the manager, what, you know, what formation they, uh, and what, what holes they see in the team will dictate. I suppose what they feel is necessary to bring in. Yeah, I think um, on the centre back point, it also doesn't necessarily even have to be anyone that we've heard of. I mean, I don't think we all knew a ton about Lewis Gibson when we signed him on a free in the summer. Um, certainly, was not one of the signings we made with the greatest fanfare. But I think we can probably all agree now that if we could clone Lewis Gibson and play the two of them next to each other in a in a back two, um, that would probably be an upgrade on any other kind of two at the back pairing that we could get that's even before discussing you know going to a three at the back so if we can just get someone in um of that type of caliber probably at this point of the season that would be someone who is still on the books of a premier league or, or maybe upper end championship club um but on a on, you know on a loan deal rather than a free that could be something i think just in one relatively underappreciated swoop uh could potentially um you know, redefine us defensively or, or at least make it, you know, make a big contribution towards that going into the back end of the season. Uh, I also personally very much like the Matete shout. Um, obviously, that is just a rumor. We don't know at the moment how true that is. But um, for me, someone I thought on his day in League One, while certainly a, a, you know, a young player who was still learning, was absolutely outstanding. I think when he came on against Derby in that home game, we won 2 1. He put in probably the best half an hour I've ever seen from an Argyle player relative to the league they were playing in. He was superb. Um, and I just wonder in a team that is not looking to win every game at the top end of, you know, a quite scrappy league, but a team that is looking to stay up, um, you know, in, 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 a, in a league where we're going to have quite a lot of physical battles against very experienced, robust teams. Um, I just wonder if, if that might suit him uh, quite well, actually. My understanding with Matete was also that he was going to be in Sunderland's first team plans or there or thereabouts uh, and then got an injury in preseason. So I guess if he is someone who was to become available to us, it would be as a result of um, either maybe him not being at full, full fitness or perhaps more likely Sunderland having had a change of regime since then and um, having, you know, quite a settled um, side. So, 
yeah, um, but obviously we'll have to have to wait and see on that one. Graham, I think you were about to say something. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Matetti's played a game this season, has he? But he's been injured, I think. Yeah, exactly. So do we want somebody coming back from injury not up to the full fitness levels of that we need from the gun? It's a gamble. I mean, obviously, I, I can't really comment on his fitness levels, not, not you know, having had the opportunity to assess him. But yes, obviously, that would be certainly would be a gamble. Um, just hard to say whether he's not coming to Sunderland's first team contention because he isn't fit enough yet or just because their their sort of style and plans and, and system have changed um, since the summer. It, it does feel, doesn't it, and maybe this is a truism given that we've just hired a new manager, but it does feel like a, a sort of pivot point, maybe six months earlier than we all would have liked, but one that was inevitably going to come where the kind of euphoria of the League One win and, you know, the, the specific players or at least some of them that carried us to that um, start to you know, move on or, or be heavily rumoured with moving on. And we sort of try to now execute that pivot to become a sustainable championship club. Again, I think this is probably not happening on our terms if it was ever going to. Um, but one piece of news, if it were to happen this month, that would clearly, sorry, clearly deepen that feeling, uh, it would be the departure of Morgan Whitaker. Now there are rumours flying around pretty much every day on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, about Whitaker's future with the club. Some of them seem extremely far-fetched, some of them perhaps more plausible. Um, I'm not going to talk about any of those individual rumours in terms of price tags and, and clubs, just because we have no way of gauging their credibility. But I think we can all agree that it would not be a surprise if Premier League clubs were coming in for Whitaker uh, this month, given how productive he has been for us in the first part of this season. Um, I guess the question kind of more generally to ask about him then is to each of you, and I'll start with Graham on this, is there a price that you would accept for Morgan Whitaker this January? Or do you think survival is so important and he is so key to it that you try and hold on to him pretty much whatever the cost, at least for now? Um, obviously, that would not preclude a sale in the summer or, or next January or whenever. But, but how do you how would you sort of approach that if you were running the club? I would try and keep hold of him um, <clears throat> because if he continues at the rate he's done in the first half of the season, his value is only going to go up. So from <clears throat> from a player point of view and, and a value point of view, the best plan is to try and keep him to the end of the season. Now, whether there's any trigger clause or whatever, I mean, you know, we're vulnerable to if there is a clause and we don't know if that's matched and then somebody piles in and quadruples his salary, which is quite possible if he goes to the Premiership club, then we're vulnerable. But that's the nature of the way that we can only progress. And we haven't had a high value um, transfer income. I think what's the record, Almosi and Norris at around 2 million, I mean, which is small beer these days. Mm. I look at Alex Scott, who went from Bristol City to Bournemouth, he was 25 million. I'm thinking, well, what's Morgan Whitaker worth to somebody in the Premiership who's desperately trying to secure their survival? Because I think it's, it's likely to be a lower lower level Premiership club rather than one of the top teams. But my preference would be to keep him to the end of the season. And if he goes, we've had a wonderful season with him. Um, but that's football. And we are where we are. We're not, you know... We can't always dictate the terms, as we've found out. Ben, is there an argument to be made, maybe slightly contra what Graham was saying, that 
it's possible that he won't continue to perform at the level uh, that he's performing at at the moment. I'm obviously not saying that that will or won't happen. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Um, And also, obviously, we know that transfer values can be inflated in the January market compared to the given, you know, any given any given summer market. Is there a case that if a very big offer were to come in for him now that you could take those two facts into account and think maybe this is something we can't uh, turn down because there's a chance we might not get the same in the summer or is it one way you you sort of have the confidence and faith in him and, and his ability that he'll only continue to get better and therefore whatever the january effect on his current value it will go up regardless in the summer how, how do you think about that if i was like speaking personally i think this is his first season at this level properly um and he's done exceptionally well he's of an age where he's got improvements he can make and probably surely will make so i very much doubt that he will haven't been able to perform in this team uh, which we have to admit is a you know the lower end of the the championship quality squads. Um, he he should have no problem to continue to replicate his form. That's my personal opinion. Though obviously, as you suggest, there's no reason to think that you know whether it's a niggling injury that occurs or, or you know the change mm-hmm. of formation or change of manager doesn't suit him. There's you know there's obviously potential, but I imagine he's going to find ways like he does. He just he, he does things on his own. A lot of the things he creates are just of his own doing. He doesn't necessarily need the support. That's what's magic about him. And that's what's valuable about him is that he can pick up the ball, dance past a couple of men, and, and create his own opportunities. And that's not something really that depends on um, on who's playing around you. That sort of star quality. That so. Um, I don't think, you know, personally speaking, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I do think that... Yes, I guess, just quickly, I'm not so much sort of assessing the likelihood of that outcome, just like as a business decision, the fact that it is yeah. a possibility. If there's a yeah. big enough offer, do you sort of feel that there is, you know, yeah. that it's just prudent to accept it, I guess? Yeah, so the, 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 two, the two arguments for that are, you know, the first is against it is there's a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You've got a known quantity that's producing at an elite level keep him secure survival that's worth you know survival's worth a few million pounds so if we lose a few million pounds because of the summer market values decrease slightly you've not really lost anything because he's secured the club the survival so i think that balances that out but the, contrary to that if you get i think once you start getting to seven figures i think the club is in a position where we people know we're financially um you know we're, we're, we're the, the lower end of the financial weight classes so they can potentially lowball us but because they know that um we you know we 10 million pounds for example once you start sort of getting into that territory that although i think that's less than whitaker's worth by a long way once people start putting that money on the table especially if it all comes at once that becomes attractive to a club and a manager who are restarting and regenerating having lost two of their you know the two loans that we've talked about losing um, if you know, we think, well, could we just throw the whole thing out and start again? Because that's an incredible amount of money to be able to reinvest wisely. And we know that the club hits. You know, I'd say the the club has hit at least sixty six percent of the of of the, the targets they've hit, and then you'd say probably half of those, so thirty three percent, have been really great hits. You know, think of, I'd say, like for example, Gibson, Azaz, um, Whitaker, Mumba. You know, those sort of loans have been you know really really good. And then you've got other ones which are sort of in the middle range that have been perfectly you know good and then maybe some of the others weren't so good so you sort of think well if we could use that money to bring in say six players of real good quality even if we're identifying them from markets where we're getting good value etc um two of those you'd hope would be at least two of those would be you know really high quality and get to the towards those sort of 
those brackets of of um, Azaz and Whitaker levels. Now it doesn't always work like that. You know, you might hit on all of them, and then all of a sudden we're you know we're we're competing at the top end like Sunderland did when they sort of came up, and then all of a sudden we're competing. But then again, you can also miss, and if you miss with you know you take that ten million pounds, you take the fifteen million pounds, and you miss with all of the signings you make with that money, all of a sudden you're in big big trouble. Um, so yeah, it it. it uh, you also have to speculate to accumulate. That's another, you know, to, from rolling out the idioms. Um, and so, you know, that's the business you're in. If you keep hold of Whitaker too long, it, he starts to decrease in value. And I think you know, he, the, the one asset we do have is that he's settled here and he knows he's a very mature man. He knows there's more to life than money. He's expressed that in many ways and he's comfortable here. So I don't think he's going to have his head turned by, you know, um, promise of, of, of filthy Luca. I think he knows that he's got that ahead of him when he's ready. Um, so that's to our benefit. I think it really will come down to if the club decide that that it's just too good a an offer to turn down and what their price is um, and what they plan to do with that money. But I would suggest that anything that they potentially might lose in inverted commas from selling Whitaker in the summer or whenever it is, because it is inevitable that, you know, he's going to need to go and perform on a higher stage. Um, whatever they might lose by not selling him in, 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 in the, the clinch market of January will be made by by him keeping us up and his contributions will, I think, keep us up. They will be integral to, to us staying up. So, yeah, I can see the arguments for both sides and I definitely do think that if you want to start rebuilding in the, the style of the new manager, then sort of 10, 15 million pounds is not going to hurt. Um, and finally, Sam, what's your take on the question? Does Whitaker have a price this month if you're in charge of Plymouth Argyle Football Club or is it don't sell at any cost. Yes, he has a price. Everyone has a price. If someone comes in and offers 100 million, we're going to sell him. Of course, we are. The question isn't does he have the price. The question is where is that price? Um, I think it's 12 to 15 million. Um, people are, I think, not quite. And I'm just thinking this at me saying, look how clever I am. People are not quite making them calculations in a broad set. Not people on here, but in the discourse, I'm thinking on social media, people are not quite making the calculations. Um, survival is worth about £15 million to us. The differential in the TV deal between the Championship and League One is uh, supposedly worth um, estimated between £9 and £10 million. The Premier League solidarity payment differential is, is £4 million. So you're up to 13 without trying. So then when you factor in the, the, the lack of leverage we have to negotiate on transfer fees in League One, Compared to in the championship, you factor in the lack of revenue coming into the club from fans, match day spending, all the rest of sponsorship, all the rest of that kind of stuff. I think it is easily, easily worth 15 million that we stay up this season for when that new money comes in. Um, so we have to factor that in. Um, you know, so I've then, some sort of contribution. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. So is so is Whitaker if he's only yeah. worth twelve to fifty if his price is twelve to fifteen million pounds in your book is you know if you know he goes and we go down which is not a guarantee but certainly would increase the odds well, of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, that was, we're not just giving him away for free if 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 we do. Well, that, that 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 was that, that was sort of what I was going to say. But I was going to say I, I suppose I'm always contradicting myself by saying I might take twelve million, but then you have to factor in there is an aspect that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and obviously. The, the ultimate scenario whereby, you know, we, we, we don't sell him in January and we do also go down as a possibility. There's also the possibility whereby we we do sell him, but we get some really canny loan signings in and, and reinvest on one or two good permanent signings and we manage to have enough to stay up. So I think Whitaker 
vast, going would vastly increase our chances of going down. It wouldn't make it absolutely certain, but I think a, a lot. When, I, when I'm seeing some talk of you know um, fig, figures going around like seven million, eight million, I think no way, not a chance, because I don't think that's anything like the kind of figure he's worth. And he vastly increased likelihood of staying up. Um, I think. I'm just a little bit miserable, miserable about the whole situation, to be honest. It just feels that all the good work of the last four years has come falling apart, falling down like a pack of cards in one month. Um, obviously, the the manager who, who did so well to get us there has gone. Um, two, two fantastic loan players have gone and our brilliant record signing, um, little joint record signing, it's looking like he might go as well. Maybe it's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an emotional reaction, but I just feel that we're kind of seeing our last trip to the championship happen again on, on steroids in the sense of just not quite being able to compete at this level, just not quite having the resources to match any club and having done so well punching above our weight for half the season and maybe we will continue to. It just has a feeling of a complete kick in the teeth, to be honest. And I, and I just, I'm just struggling to, to have any, any positivity about, about it, about any of it, to be honest. It's, um, it, it's maybe... I think we have to really think about decisions going into this window. I know Simon Hallett has, has absolutely got the, the best intentions of the club, and I think the strategy up to now has been absolutely spot on. But I think we need to have a think about, is, is it time to go out and, and and use some, if not all, of the cash reserves on a, on a needle-turning signing on someone who could really turn the needle? Because ultimately, if we do, it may be one or two million spent, but that one or two million could, could vastly increase the chances of of 15 million saved. Um, Graham, I, you seem to be disagreeing, so I'm going to let you give your counterpoint and please come. And you will know, just remember 2011, where we chased mm. the wages, chased the players, and it's not going to happen. You forget we've progressed so far because we're outsmarting and outperforming. And you forget there's no reason we can't continue to do that. Um, I, whether Whitaker goes or not, I mean, if, if he does go, and the thing with social media, I mean, I, I tend to ignore it more at times like this because people can start something and it gets traction and before you know it, everybody's believing it and it had no substance in the first place. Um, there might not be a release clause. We might not get a bid. I mean, it, you know, Yes, he's, he's a really good player, a good player for us, but how many teams would he fit in with the way that he plays? You know, I mean, it's, we won't see what, what I do not want to happen if we get a tremendous offer. I don't want to get that on the last day or so, the transfer window, well, yeah. with the opportunity to, to yeah. utilise it. So, oh, yeah. You know, I hope February the 1st comes quicker. Never ever wish February comes quicker as this one, but. Yeah, um, but I, I'm I'm not as down as you are, Sam, because I just look at what we've achieved and how we've achieved it. Yeah, um, just look at this the way we've played this season. Home Park, I think was it 67 goals at Home Park, and everyone's mm-hmm. been moaning the, the game yesterday. We had 17 shots. It's fine margins, and we've got to make sure that we outperform and outsmart. We're playing most of the teams around us. We're eight, seven, well, seven points clear of the relegation space. So that's effectively the team in that bottom three has got to really come with a run at this. And that's not Huddersfield because they're 
outside the bottom three. The home form is is great. If we continue with our home form, well, how many? I can't remember how many points we've got at the moment, but it was at forty six is the the target. That's that's within reach. Yeah, for, look, forty six probably keeps us up. Certainly with our goal difference being better than most teams down there, yeah, it is in reach. And look, I want to make I want to make one one very very specific uh, counterpoint. I won't rebuke. Uh, you'll respond to the entire thing because I, I'm very conscious of time. Um, but I would like to say, regarding 2011, I feel that there is one extreme in the other. And and I, and I just think that in terms of cash reserves, we didn't have any cash reserves at that time. We, we were borrowing money at quite an alarming rate. And I do feel that it is a little bit of a difference between spending the cash reserves that are there and making a loss in terms of, you know, the yearly the yearly balance sheet and borrowing money that we don't have. I, I feel that making an, making an investment in the cash reserves is, is, is a different thing to borrowing money. Now, obviously, look, that may still may well still be unwise on its own terms to use the cash reserves. They are there for a reason. They're there, you know, if, if things really go belly up, that, that we have that safety net, I guess. So I'm not saying that we, I'm not saying that we absolutely categorically should use the cash reserves. I'm just saying that if we did do that, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be the same have. level. Yeah. We already yeah, have. Yeah, we, we have. Well, we have, yeah. yeah. We've got to be smart. We've proven to be smart with most of our recruitment. Um, a head coach who has a contacts book that's different to most of the other coaches, managers in the division and access to players that he will know. So let's hope that we benefit from that. I, as I say, I'm not as despondent. I, you know, we've, we've got where we are by doing what we're doing. Let's just continue and do it. Um, and we got so, here several years early. If we ended yeah, up, being, yeah, we're a year ahead. Look, we're this year ahead. Then, yeah. I fully back us to bounce back and still compete for that five-year plan. I was going to say that. Yeah, I remember it wasn't too long ago, but all you know, all of my youth, there's nothing to do at Argyle. You went for a drink beforehand. You just turned up for the game. Whereas now, the match day experience, yes, it's more family friendly, and a lot of the, you know, the lads, if you want to call it, you know, the youngs might not sort of enjoy that vibe. But it brings so much more money into the club. It makes it such a there's such an atmosphere there. So if we were to go down, yeah. I feel like attendances wouldn't just drop off a cliff like they have in in the past. The the club is in a good place where if we, even if we were to go down in the worst case scenario, there's every chance we come back up because there's the money still coming into the club. We're still financially sound. We can afford to absorb the loss that would be projected from the relegation and probably bounce back at first point and still be in a position as if we'd stayed with we just have the less cash uh, in, input. So. Yeah, I don't. I, I think you know we could. We could. I don't. Think, as scary as it is, and as much as we want to stay in the position we are, we have to accept that we're. You know, we're, we're punching above our weight, and it, you know, we you can't control everything. You know, it's been a brilliant season so far, and whatever happens, happens. Maybe, yeah, um, maybe it's a bit of an... close to calling time on this conversation, but Sam, you can have the final word. Yeah, maybe it is a bit of an uh, emotional heat at the moment reaction, that, and maybe I will, and um, perhaps already am rowing back from it slightly. I just wonder if. If, if there isn't an argument, and I may, look, maybe this isn't a conversation already happening within the club. I'm not saying they're not saying this. Please don't take this as me being critical. I think maybe there is an argument to slightly rethink this window strategy just a little, just on the basis of, yes, we need to box clever. Yes, we, need, we, we can keep on outperforming, but there comes a level with all teams like that where they just run out of road to, to maximise the small margins. And I wonder if, if, if it might be time to look at the big margins um, a little, a little bit more beyond. Now, yes, we have already spent, you know, some of the cash reserves. We spent a million pound on Mumba, a million pound on Whitaker. I just think that we don't want to be going into January with a much weaker squad than we started it with, 
and also having a new head coach getting the grips with the team. I think that's a concern. Yes, if we do go down, I think we'll be well-placed to get back up. Andrew Parkinson's done a great job with, with the stuff Ben mentioned. Simon Hallett's done a great job, you know, implementing the overall vision or at least, you know, um, outlining the overall vision for Andrew Parkinson to help implement. Neil Ducic's done a great job with the football side of the club. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just quite frustrating to see the reality of being a small fish in a big pond, I guess. And... I just really hope that, well, uh, well, first and foremost, I hope that he doesn't go. But if he does and he goes to anything like the kind of 12, 15 figure we've all mooted tonight, I just hope that some of that, and I feel some of it would, go into bringing some really exciting players. And as Graham said, I really hope it doesn't come on 31st of January because then it'll be too late to spend it and then we really will be up up a certain creek without a paddle. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And I'll, I'll yeah, <laughs> Stonehouse, exactly. And I'll, I'll let John wrap up. Indeed. Well, um, as Graham said, we're all hoping February comes uh, sooner. And at Argyle Life, we've done our bit to accelerate February coming. Uh, they say the middle Monday in January is Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the year. But Sam has brought that forward by an entire week um, for all of you. So February is just around the corner. Um, I'll just offer a quick thought on all of that um, before we wrap up. I, I think that, as I said last year to probably people who are present in this call, the most important thing was getting out of League One. For me, that was really be the hardest step once you have done that once um even if you come straight back down you sort of enter a tier of presumptive yo-yo clubs where you are immediately in contention um to bounce back again because you have more money because you have players who've been tested in the championship of course that is not a golden ticket um but for me us going up surprisingly last year vaulted us from being a bang on mid-table league one side into a club that at the very least is in that sort of barnsley blackpool rotherham type tier um now can we escape that tier and be even better i think we can and as graham said you know a point a game is probably or just ahead of that is probably what we need to stay up at the moment we are hitting that mark absolutely four or five wins between now and and you know sort of march april kind of time it really is not that many and would have us right on the cusp i think of what we need to do to, to survive so we, we probably don't need to do as well in the second half of the season as we have in the first um in order to stay up, which ultimately is is the goal this season. I think for me, Whitaker is so key to that effort that we should be rejecting any bid that does not start with a number two and contain figures. I'm not saying that's necessarily his value in a free market, but I think it's his value to us. Um, I think if someone was to start offering that kind of money, it would be a real conversation. Personally, I just think the benefits of staying up would um, outweigh accepting an offer that we otherwise might. I firmly believe Morgan Whitaker is going to have a brilliant career, not with us. I think his lasting bequest and gift to this club that he seems to love is going to be enabling us to buy an entire team of new players on the on the transfer money he brings in one day. I also, though, am a bit concerned, given the January premium, that even if we can milk a little bit more money for him this window, we will then be expected to pay that on to other clubs who we're signing players from. This is not a good time of year to be signing players on permanent deals. And if we're going to other clubs and offering them money for players who might possibly replace some of Whitaker's output, they're going to say, well, you just had 15, 16 million pounds come in the door for Morgan Whisker. We're not selling to you for the amount that maybe we otherwise would have done. Um, so I think if we can keep him till the summer, if we can bring in shrewd loan additions, and by the way, our loan hit rate has been fantastic. Ben sort of mentioned our general hit rate on transfers being very good. For loans, there are hardly any that have been a total dud. Um, and as uh, Graham mentioned, we now have a manager who has 
in theory, even even a better contact booked than the people who are already on the on the books at our club um, in order to get some more players like that in the door. So if we can leverage the loan market, keep Whitaker, I think we can have a very good second half of the season. But even without him, let's keep the faith and say that we can still stay up. Um, that's it for this Sutton pod, except one more question with uh, a strictly one word or if I'm generous, a one sentence answer from all of you, um, which is that Ian Foster said he would like anyone in the fourth round of the FA Cup, as long as it's Liverpool at home. Uh, Graham, who do you want in the fourth round of the FA Cup? Tottenham away. Ben? Give us the lowest ranked team left. Go on. Let's have a run. So it's Maidstone, right? Um, as you may have heard me mention, we need some money. Man United away. Um, and I will go for... It's always been, as someone who was a bit of a, a two-club Spurs fan in their youth, I, I would love Graham's uh, suggestion to be true. But I think Wrexham away and putting them back in their box um, would be a fantastic fourth round trip. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.